Welcome to Sojourn. My name is Dylan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you guys for joining us. If you have a Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4 this morning is where we'll be. Love the words of that song as we gather together. Let's be reminded, think, believer, what spirit dwells within thee. Think that the Father's love is yours. And let's be reminded of that reality as we turn to his word and sit underneath it. We were on our way back from Oklahoma to Kentucky when we stopped at a gas station somewhere in Missouri and our car didn't start again. So this is unfortunately too, all too normal for us. We somehow employ the help of a good Missouri boy. He helps us out and uh, all we hear is click every time we turn the thing, the, the, the key, the ignition. And we think battery, I don't know, we try to jump it. But this guy, he says, uh, let me try something. Gets him a huge wrench, jumps underneath my car and just starts pounding on something. And he says, just keep turning it. Sure enough, he pounds, I turn, we get it started. I'm like, great, we're not turning this thing off the whole rest of the way home. We're filling up with gas with the car on. If we got to, we're not turning this thing off. I, sometimes it takes a good pounding on some parts of your car to get it going. That's what I learned that day. I should have, have learned this lesson well growing up on a farm. I knew that there's a few things that you just need to smack a few times to get it going. All right, sometimes repeated beatings are needed. And you can make that application as broad as you want to. I won't narrow it for you. Well, Proverbs chapter 4 is a repeated hammering of wisdom. There's not much new in chapter 4 that you haven't already heard. The appeal to wisdom, the encouragement of wisdom, even the benefits of wisdom are all repeated. The sagely father that has been speaking to us is wise enough to know that his son and that any sons, all that would have ears to hear, still need to hear this repeated message that this wisdom that he's speaking about, that he's already talked about, that he's appealed to, that he's given the benefits of is something that we still need to hear again. And that those who are humble enough to hear will know that they have the necessity to hear that they know that there's necessity to wisdom, that there's value to wisdom, that there's benefit. And then in that wisdom, they want that wisdom to be driven deeper. So pound it home. May we hear as those who have already heard this, but know that as those who have already heard, know that we need to hear again. The first, the first exhortation that he gives us is for all to hear and to be attentive that we might gain. If you look in Proverbs 4 verse 1, it says, Hear, O sons... A father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts and do not forsake my teaching. Again, we have a parental relationship being kind of put on display here where you have a father talking to a son and, and it seems as if that family relationship was central to, to wisdom. It maybe even have been the original setting of wisdom where we have fathers and, and mothers passing down to their children the wisdom that they have and it, so it goes. So it's, I think, a little bit instructive that we don't have here a temple and a priest speaking. We don't, we're not in the school and we don't have a teacher speaking to a student. It's a, not a professional relationship. It's not some pro that's instructing the son. It's a dad. So there's some, some close relationship here. There's a loving relationship here. There's an intentional relationship here that I think is instructional for us, that family should be a primary means of giving and receiving wisdom. 
Family should be a primary means of giving and receiving this loving appeal. Family should be a place of intentionality in our own lives. So in the Proverbs, the father, he makes this repeated appeal to get wisdom. And that's what he continues in chapter 4. And he never tires of it. He wants his son to get it no matter what. And so he keeps appealing over and over again. As if this topic is so important to this father that it doesn't, he doesn't let it rest. And he just keeps telling it to the son over and over and over again. Parents, there should be some messages that your kids hear from you over and over and over again. That they should almost be weary of because they've heard it so many times. And, and kids, like the things that they repeat over and over again, listen to them well, I think. They're, they're good for you. Your parents want good for you. Listen well to their repeated instruction The topic might be so important that they want you to get it so badly that they're willing to repeat it over and over and over again. We should do this as parents, as the family of God, both spiritual mothers, fathers, sons, and daughters here. We should be this way with one another. We need to do likewise, repeat our message over and over again. We we value wisdom and walking in the fear of the Lord enough to not only want to get it for ourselves, but to give it away to others. And there's a problem there, that no one can give away what they don't have. And when we talk about that, we should all know that we at least have some lack here. That we don't have all the wisdom that we need. One author says that your future self will always see your present self as unwise and immature. Then he narrows it in, right? What does that mean for right now? Well, that means you are currently unwise and immature right now. All right, think back. Like right now, think back. Like, yes, I had some unwise, immature decisions and behavior. When I'm in the future, if I'm thinking from future self back, I'm thinking, yes, I, I lack some wisdom. I'm immature in, in many ways. And so there's a need. There's a need for me to get wisdom. There's no need to despair. There, there's all sorts of hope in our neediness and even our lack of wisdom because we have a God who is the God of all the universe who is really good. Who, who loves us. Who, who wants us to walk in the fear of the Lord. Who actually wants us to get wisdom. There's hope because he says for all those who lack wisdom that he's generous. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Why? Because he gives generously. He's a generous God. And so where, where we lack, we don't need to despair. We can actually take great hope in our neediness because God is generous to give us wisdom. So if you lack like I do, why don't you, why don't you join in asking God for wisdom? Maybe even now. Hey, God, I, I haven't gotten it yet. I don't have enough. Would, would you help me? As we hear your words, you help me gain the wisdom that I need. Wisdom, verse 2, is for our good. These are good things, good precepts. They're for others' good. They're not burdensome. They're actually freeing. And So maybe God will, will use us and maybe even in our families and our spheres of influence to pass on wisdom like you see this father passing it on here. And this continues. He actually says in verse 3, When I was a son with my father... Fathers and parents, there's, there's some, some stories like that that your kids know. Like, well, yeah, when I was a kid, you, didn't, you had no idea. And here's what this father is doing. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one on the side of my mother, he taught me. He taught me. Now, we, we looked last week in chapter 3, if you just peek back in verse 33, that the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. And here you see that there's, there's influence. If you, you choose the path of wisdom, you choose the path of folly, it, there's going to be some effect on others. Here you see it. Here's the good effect. And he said, I had a father, and here's what he told me. He told me some really good things. So there's an effect that's trickling down. 
There's always going to be a need for this. There's always going to be a need for some who have wisdom to pass it down to others. Because Proverbs 22 says that folly is bound up in the heart. That we, we're not naturally born wise people. That we need to be taught. We need to get it. We need to go after it. And there's, in Proverbs, and we see this in other places, there's a long line of faithful people who are wise, who are trying not only to receive wisdom, but then to pass it down to others. They, they do it with love and urgency, like this father and his father before him, and probably his father before him. And there's this long line of faithfulness that God has always preserved to pass down wisdom. There are many voices joining in unison to speak to lives beyond them, to walk in the fear of the Lord. We saw this in Hebrews chapter 11, do we not? This, this line of faith, this lineage of people that were far from perfect but trusted in God nonetheless. Their voices were added to say, like, you can do this. You can walk by faith and not by sight. There, there's a line of people that aren't so awesome in themselves but have trusted in God that have done it. You can follow like them. And that's what this father is doing here. Maybe some of you have come from a long line of folly and not of wisdom. Here we could listen to the Father's instruction still. Be attentive. Get wisdom. Break the line and then start passing down something different. Because here's a dad who, who remembers something that was passed down to him and then he wants to pass it down. So what does he pass down? Here's what his father told him in, in verse 4. Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Don't, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. Notice again that this father, the, the love and the urgency he has for his message to be received, and how he repeats his counsel over and over again. He heard it from his father, and he repeats it over and over again to his son. There's a repetition there. That the son is reminded of the protection that wisdom provides. If a father knew that, that he could give something to his child that would protect them, then, and even future generations, then he'd say, he'd say it over and over again. Get it. And that's what this father's saying. There's something that can protect you, actually. I know what it is. I heard it from my father. You need to get it too. Get wisdom. Go after it. You need to get hold of this thing and don't let it go. And so the safe way to live, according to this father and his father, is not to live in the fear of man. Not to live in the fear of disaster or sudden terror. Not to live in the fear of death, but to live in the fear of the Lord. Not in the sense of dread, but in the awe of God and who He is. An awe that gives way to obedience before Him. That wants relationship with Him. That's what this father wants for his son that his father wanted for him. Walking in the fear of the Lord, walking in wisdom, is to have one master. And that master being God. Understanding, I don't want to obey anybody else but Him and all of us have a master, but there's only one master that is actually safe because there's only one master that is actually fully and wholly good. Every other master can try to lead us safely for a while and may actually be successful until they get to the end. And then there's this huge monster at the end that no other master can cross. It's called death. And then the successful leading, the safe leading ends for any other master. But there's one master that can guide safely through death because one master has gone through death and came out the other side. And that's the master that would bid us to, to hear, to listen, to follow, to walk according to wisdom. There's only one who's good, only one who can keep us ultimately safe and eternally safe, not because any of us deserve it, but because he's good enough to make it available for us. He's good enough to defeat what we couldn't defeat for us. 
And so, yeah, the, the father has urgency for his son to hear this and even repeats it because his father did the same thing for him. There's urgency to love and value and to keep wisdom. And verse 7 goes on to say this, that the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Love that verse. Here's the beginning, just get it. Right? Verse 7's encouragement is to make sure you, you get it at any cost. But the good news is that there's not a qualification here. It's not a matter of, of once you get to this IQ, then let's get wisdom. So you got to have some brain power, son. It's not a matter of, of you need to earn your way in life, gain some money, gain some influence, gain some power, and then you can get some wisdom. No, there's no qualification for your station in life, your brain power, your money, any of those things. The, the qualification is, is want to. Here's, here's the beginning. The beginning is just get it. Reach decisively for this valuable thing called wisdom that God offers out to us freely. And there are similarities with how it's spoken of here in verse 7 with other things that we see in the gospel, like the, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, where it's go sell everything you have just to get that. It's more valuable than anything else you have. So if you've got to get rid of everything just to get that one pearl, go do it. That's what the Father is saying here. Get it. Whatever you get, no matter what it costs you, if you're going to get something, get this. Get wisdom. And you could do it, and you can do it in joy. Because the Father is saying, I've seen things, I know this is more valuable. So do it in joy, knowing that what you actually are receiving is definitely worth it. We see that in verse 8 and 9. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. That is, wisdom won't deflate you, but exalt you. Wisdom won't disgrace you, but will honor you. Wisdom won't disappoint you, but will beautifully adorn you. And the wise voices of the past are joining into this and saying, yes, get it. Whatever you get, get this. We've seen all these other things, but get it. They are speaking with with clarity, with unity. Get wisdom. Keep her. Value her. And once one has this wisdom, then we don't just sit back and say, well, all right, I got it. I'm there. I'm set. Let's take it easy. No, he says, rather, we need to hold on tight. That's where I think he goes in verse 10. So you're going to hear this repeated. Like he said, verse 1, hear, my, hear, O son. Here he says it again. Verse 10, hear, my son. He's going to say it again in verse 20. Verse 10 says, hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of upright, uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. So it's not just sitting back and letting things go, slide. No, it's, it's, a, it's an active thing that you're doing. One commentator says it this way, that the wisdom is not gained by a one-time decision, but a decision followed by a lifetime of discipline. It is a rigorous endeavor involving study as well as self-control, especially in light of the apparent rewards from going on the easier path of the wicked. In other words, there's a repeated pounding needed for us to keep going. Like We need to know, again, prize her, value her, keep going after her. You need wisdom. You're going to need to keep giving. It takes effort and time to keep. It's not a one-time thing. I've been graced with wisdom, and now I'm set. No, you keep moving. You keep traveling. You keep going after it. And so the Father says, hear it, accept it, internalize it. Don't just let it hit your ears. Let it go all the way down internally to you, to your, to your heart, to your motives, to your desires, all those things. He says, I've taught you and I've led you, but I didn't just want that to be an example for you. I wanted you to see it and I wanted you to receive it internally. I wanted it to affect you that way that you can walk this way. That's why he says, when you walk, there's, there's freedom there. 
The, the freedom of walking in wisdom is, is everywhere in the book of Proverbs. There's, there shouldn't be worry of fear or sudden disaster. There shouldn't be worry of, of terror on every side. No, wisdom has these gifts. Long life, riches, honor, safety are all hers. So wisdom is what actually allows, frees up, walking without hindrance, running without worrying about stumbling because you're walking with wisdom. The freedom of wisdom the freedom that wisdom doesn't allow is the freedom to just then take it easy. You know, start taking wisdom for granted and not worrying about it. Stop moving. Wisdom doesn't allow that kind of freedom. Well, it's not just a one-time thing. You keep moving on. It says in verse 13, keep hold of instruction. Don't let go. Guard her for she is your life. Guard her. She's your life. So not just when you're young. She is your life. This is to be held onto and guarded all of your life because it is your life. It's the path to follow. There are two paths given. One is the path of folly that leads to destruction. The other is the path of wisdom that leads to life. And so it's no wonder that we talk about wisdom as your life. It's the path to follow if you don't want to be ultimately hampered. It's the path to follow if you don't want to ultimately stumble. Keep hold of this. Guard it. It's your life. And it keeps you from walking down paths of destruction and evil, which are sure to come. Verse 14, I love the, the honesty which the father speaks to the son. He doesn't, doesn't try to hide the evils of the world from the son, but actually says, like, here's what's going to happen. Verse 14 says, do not enter the path of the wicked, because it's there. And do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. This reminds me of Psalm 1. Remember of the, the blessed man from Psalm 1? Well, the blessed man is, is one who is known for what he does do, meditates on the word day and night. But the blessed man is also known for what he doesn't do. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. So it's not just about what he does do, meditates on the word. It's also about what he doesn't do. And the father here is giving some things. Here's what not to do. Here's what's to avoid. And he is anything but wishy-washy on his stance toward evil and the way of the wicked. He knows how to respond to it. He gives it away. Here's what you do with wicked. You, you don't enter it. Don't walk in their ways. Avoid it. Don't go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. So let me ask you this. Do, do we need wisdom? What, another way to ask this is to ask, what's your stance on sin? What's your, what's your view of evil? What's your, what's your stance on the way of the wicked? Is it clear? Is it that clear? Is it verse 14 and 15 clear? Paul tells us, and he writes, he says, actually, you need to hate sin. Here, the Father is giving us a pretty clear instruction. Don't enter it. Don't walk in it. Avoid it. Don't go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. Wisdom avoids, turns away from, passes on sin. What about you? What do you say about sin in the way of the wicked? Have we not at times domesticated sin and how we speak about it that make it seem not so dangerous, a little bit tame. I think we do this in a lot of ways, but how we label it is one way. So we talk about things that we struggle with, habits, hang-ups, weaknesses, shortfalls. We'll confess, I messed up, I struggled, I fell or slipped up, as if it was an accident that you somehow fell into. Now, don't get me wrong, we do have struggles, we do have habits, we have hang-ups, we have weaknesses, we do fall, but some of those things that we're calling struggles and weaknesses and hang-ups are actually sin against God. And we need to name them as sin. 
Calling sin struggles or hang-ups or weaknesses can minimize the danger of sin, can actually minimize what we're saying about sin. There's no more harmful thing than sin, and that needs to be clear, not smoothed over in how we speak of it. And I think we do this with good intentions, but I think we need to have a clear stance like the Father does here. I think, again, with good intentions, we, we gather in accountability groups and we say, man, this is a safe place. Just be real, be you. Like, this is a safe place for you to be. I hope that it is a safe place for you to be. I hope our home groups and the relationships that you have, the community that you have here, are safe relationships for you to be honest and open about your sin and weaknesses and struggles. I hope all those things are true. But is it as clear that not just is it a safe place, but that we're actually not safe in our sin? Are we as clear about saying, yeah, you're safe here, but we don't want your sin to be safe? Actually, what we're trying to do with sin is kill it. Together, actually, as a group, and we're trying to keep accountable to one another, we're not just safe in our sin. We actually want to get rid of sin. We're trying to walk away from it. We're called together to kill sin. Is that as clear as it is that this is a safe place? Often I think we're just way too cool with sin. Just, it's okay, it's not that big of a deal. And we're way too cool with sin in the places that, that the battle actually needs to be taking place. Is sin and its danger watered down in how we speak about it? Is sin and danger, the danger of sin, watered down in an attempt to, to make church or Christianity a little bit more welcoming to other people? No, we can't water down sin. We can't minimize sin or be wishy-washy about sin and its danger. And I don't think this is only done in how we speak about it, but also how we handle it personally. In high school, we had this class. This is me looking back and saying, I'm immature, unwise. <laughs> We had this class where we were just constantly trying to push this teacher's buttons. Sorry, teachers, for my immaturity. What we would do is every time she would turn around to the board or go out of the room is that we'd just kind of inch our desks a little bit closer and just slowly kind of move up. And like we are just waiting for the time when she would just snap or just figure something out that's going wrong, go create something, right? We were very immature, I admit, but we were just moving closer and closer and closer to the line, far enough to where she wouldn't notice it at once, but then after a while she'd be like, something is messed up here and would just lose it. And the reality is, is that a lot of us act that same way with our sin. It's a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer until something breaks. There seems to be this tendency, this tendency that's in me too, that wants to know where the line is, not so that we can avoid it and honor God, so that we can get as close to that line as possible and not go over it without actually falling. So we want to know how far is too far in dating relationships. When we're 21, we're like, well, what about alcohol? Is that okay? And where do we stand on all that stuff? Why? Most often those comes from a desire not to please and honor God, not to love and serve my neighbor, but to please myself and to actually do what I want to do and somehow put a stamp of justification on it. Often we want to find out how we can go as far as possible without crossing the line, and that doesn't seem to fit with the stance of the sagely father or the rest of the scripture. God tells his people, be holy because I'm holy. And so in other words, your outward behavior is rooted in the character and nature of God, which is unchanging, constantly holy. So he says, that you, you go be like that. Paul says, whether we eat or whether we drink, all that we want to do, we want to do to the glory of God. 
not, let's find out how far we can get to sinning against God before we turn back. Jesus says, tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation, not, let's get pretty close to it. No, lead us away from these things. Paul says that anything that doesn't proceed from faith is sin. So if you're going away like, well, at least I'm not in sin. Like, oh, are you being led by faith in God and his holiness and his greatness? Or are you being led by your own selfish desires? He said, if you're being led by anything but faith, that's sin. They should not be messing around with that. We don't mess around with sin as people of God. We, we run away from it. One author says that that part of us that thinks it's harmless to flirt with lust, gossip, greed, or anger, just so long as we don't get into bed with it, is the fool in us. You could add any sin to that list. It doesn't matter. He, he gives a list, but any list, any, any number of sins, add a sin in there and know that that's the fool in us that wants to flirt with that sin and think that we don't, need, we don't want to fall into it. We don't want to cross the line. Now, wisdom does what verse 14 and 15 does. It says, don't enter the path of the wicked. Don't walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Don't go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. And you see the repetition of how clear he is. Now, get away from it. And it matters that we be really, really clear on sin and sin's danger so that we can be really, really clear with the solution. And so that we don't just stop with saying, well, it's not that big of a deal. If our problem is merely our struggles... If our problem is merely our weaknesses, our hang-ups, those things, then did Jesus really need to come and die? Is, his, is the death of God necessary for struggles? No, the death of Jesus shows the depth of our problem and its sin. And it shows the danger of our problem, that it's fatal. And it shows the greatness of God and his love that he would come and die for such a thing, for such a people as us. And the death of Jesus then should be our decisive judgment on sin and the way of the wicked. We, we don't want to minimize anything that would cause the death of Christ. We don't want to domesticate it. We had a, need to have a clear stance of intolerance on anything that would cost God his life. Jesus and his death should be our decisive judgment on sin. And the good news is, is that if you're here and you've been way too cool with sin and tried to toe the line and kind of flirted with evil, that there's this God and his love that is so great for us. And there's Jesus whose death is so big. Can handle all of that stuff even now too. So say you've pushed the limits and tried to toe the line. Like Jesus' love and his death is enough for that. Because that's sin. But that he came to pay for sin so that we might live. That the that God loves us even in that place and wants us to turn. It's important that we be clear, though. It's important that we be clear because there's evil paths out there. There are wicked people out there that want us to join them. You see this again in verse 16. There's this evil gang. They're always hanging around. They're always tempting. Here they are again. They cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep until, unless they have made someone stumble. Like they're prowling for someone to devour. Sound familiar? They eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. 
It's almost a, speaks of the, the diet of the wicked, almost like as it is, is a diet. It's a, it's a diet of violence. It's a diet of, of wickedness and evil. And as they need to eat, they need to do evil and then commit evil and actually try to draw people in to their evil and their wicked ways and their wickedness. That's what they're trying to do. They don't realize it, but it says here in Proverbs, they're in darkness. They're walking around in darkness. They're stumbling in darkness. They're destined to fall, but how different the wise are. Their path is a path of righteousness where they, they live rightly. They walk justly. And the light of their lives only gets brighter as they go. It's this full brightness for them. It's very different from the path of the wicked and violence. And so this gives us all the more reason to say, not only do we need to get wisdom, but we need to hold on to wisdom. Because we, we want to walk in that kind of path that's, that's free and clear of, of hindrances and obstacles that would make us fall. Wisdom brings light to the path that we might see where we need to go and how we need to walk. So then in the last segment in verse 20 on, you see this repeated phrase where the, the father starts to sum up his, his appeal in chapter 4. And he says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Here in this concluding segment, we have this language of the body that that seems to permeate all over. One commentator called this kind of the, the last 20 through 27, the anatomy of discipleship. You have Ears and eyes and heart, so the kind of the inner life. You have mouth and feet. They're all mentioned and involved in this process of wisdom. They're all kind of commanded, as you will, by wisdom. Turn a certain way, do certain things with them. And so the, the life of wisdom is clearly a life of external do's and don'ts, but also motivated by, by these internal desires and convictions. And so there's a process that I think you see at play here in these verse 20 through 23. It, it begins externally. Be attentive. Here, it's got to come in from the outside. It's got to hit your ears. But he wants it to be internalized. Don't let it stay there. Don't let it just hit your ears. Let them not escape your sight. Keep them within your heart, says verse 21. And then all of a sudden, what's in your heart starts to work its way back out. Verse 23 says that from your heart flows the springs of life. And so it comes in and gets internalized and treasured and valued and loved, and then it gets sent right back out into your, your actions. So it's going in and coming back out. It matters then that we listen well, that we might internalize well, that we might live well. That's wisdom. It listens that we might keep, it matters that we listen well, that we might keep our heart guarded so that life will continue to flow from our heart because that's the center of the process is this heart, this inner life. Don't just hear internalize it, let it change your heart. It moves from your ear to your heart, then to all of life. This is why verse 23 is so important, that you're to keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it, from your heart, flows the springs of life. Now, many of you are familiar with uh, Paul Tripp and his teaching, and he had this great illustration that I don't want to improve on, but he talked about a water bottle, right? And he says, if I shake this water bottle, what's going to come out of it? Like, what's going to happen well, like water's going to spill out of it. If you open the lid and you shake it, like water's... And you'd say, well, why? Why does water come out of the bottle? Well, there's a couple different ways you could take that, right? Well, because you shook the bottle. But then he, he gives an intonation to it. And he says, well, why did water come out? That's instructive to us, right? Why does water come out? Because water's in the bottle. 
And what's in your heart comes out of your heart. That's what verse 23 is saying. From your heart, from your heart is going to flow all of your actions. From what's in you is what's coming out of you. You don't just do stuff that you don't mean to do internally. You, you want to do them. You do what you most want to do, and that comes from within. So what's coming out of our lives? Is there life in our relationships with one another? Is there lives in our communities? Is there life in our communities? Is there harmony in our communities? Is there the freedom of walking and running in the wisdom that God provides? If not, we would say, get wisdom. Hear these things well, that it might be internalized and it might flow out the right way. Because what I think we can do here is that we can spend lots of time guarding and keeping kind of the externals. Behavior, how I appear, how I come off to other people. And that's not something to be neglected completely, but we need to go about it a different way. We start internally. And we say, hey, we need to think about what's in here because what's in here is actually going to come out here. We don't start outside in. We work kind of inside out. We need to talk about the heart. Because the capacity to live with right living, with light on our path, with life and harmony in relationships, that comes not from outside of us, from circumstances and the things around us. It comes from within our hearts, from our heart flows life. And so all of us, we need wisdom filling our hearts, filling with light and righteousness that life might flow rather than sin and destruction and folly. And what Proverbs is trying to do is not just to fill our ears with a message of wisdom, but to fill up our hearts with wisdom that from that heart our lives would flow. I think it's instructive what's not said here. What does he not say? He doesn't say, keep your circumstances, guard them carefully. Keep your comfort, guard it carefully. Make sure you don't let anything hinder that. Safety, keep safe. No matter what you do, guard your safety. Put up a big fence. Whatever you got to do, guard all of those things. Stability, cut out change. Put up a fence. If there's change trying to get in, put up this impenetrable force. That way it's not allowed to penetrate. No, he doesn't say any of that. Because that's not the arena that the battle needs to be fought in. From those things, no life flows. But from the heart, life flows. The heart is what has to be kept. The heart is kept with vigilance when wisdom is continually heard, received, treasured, and lived out. You want to keep your heart? Listen to wisdom. Listen to it well. Internalize it. Let it change you, shape you, mold you. Let it put light on your path. Live it out. Treasure it. Value it rightly. Don't let go of it. Not guarding. We're not supposed to be guarding what's naturally in our hearts. We're, we're, that's folly. That would be against Proverbs. You're not saying, you know what? Put up a guard in your hearts and don't let anything in. No, let wisdom come in. And that's how you guard your heart is by letting that wisdom come in. Guard your hearts with wisdom. And the heart that receives wisdom, that's guarded by wisdom, is going to spring forth with life. It's going to come out in what we say. That's what he says in verse 24. Put away from you all crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Jesus says something similar in Luke chapter 6. He reminds us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's inside you is going to come out of you. Most often it's going to come out in what you say. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So guard that heart. James chapter 4, he's speaking about the, the tongue and the dangers of the tongue. He says, you know what, men, we've, we've pretty well tamed everything. Right? You find the biggest animal, we've pretty well tamed it. We've put it in a zoo. We can do whatever we want. But he says, but not... Not the tongue. No one can tame the tongue. 
And so, man, I read that, and I'm like, maybe we should just should not talk. I can't tame it out of the abundance of my heart. My heart, you know, my heart's got sin in it. Maybe I shouldn't speak. And you know what? There's, there's some wisdom in that. There's probably a lot of times Proverbs are going to talk about this. We shouldn't speak. We should probably speak a lot less. But not speaking is not the answer. No, here's what the wise do. They, they put away certain kinds of speech. They put away certain ways of speaking. They don't just not speak. That's not wisdom. They're going to speak in some ways that are life-giving and life-refreshing to others around them. But they're going to put away certain kinds of speech. Crooked speech. Devious talk. And, and not just a little ways. The wise don't flirt with that kind of talk. Here's what it says. Put it far away. Put away crooked speech and devious talk. Put it far away from you. The wise don't flirt with this kind of speaking. And so, yeah, where you're going in that direction, you do need to not speak. That's what wisdom would do. The wise don't flirt with this. They know that flirting with devious talk, with crooked speech, will light a force on fire. Wisdom instead keeps harmony and promotes life and relationship. And so it doesn't speak in certain kinds of ways. Wisdom, as he concludes, he, he says to let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left or turn your foot and turn your foot away from evil. Notice the single-heartedness that is to mark the wise. Their eyes are fixed. They don't need to see side to side. They know their path. It's well lit in front of them. They've listened well. They've treasured wisdom well. And so they they don't need to see what's on either side. They they know their direction. They know where they're going. It's known path. Don't need to be unsure about which direction. We don't need to swerve because the path is well lit. We know what's in front of us. We know that there's people that are around us that are trying to get us to come off the path. And then we know that we don't need to go that direction. So there's no swerving to the right of the, or to the left. For all of us, there's, there's folly within. There's all sorts of distractions without. And here's what the Father is continuing saying. Like, get wisdom. That way you can walk this way. Look forward. You, you let your gaze be straight. And ponder your path. And all your ways are going to be sure. You don't need to swerve to the right or to the left. Stay away from evil. We need to get wisdom that that might be reality for us. That we might keep moving in a way that would bring honor and glory to the Lord. We're to walk in the fear of the Lord. And you do that by gaining wisdom and holding on to it. So the path in front of us is laid out and we're to walk in it and not swerve one way or the other. The path in front of us this morning has been charted already has been walked out faithfully already. And we just need to follow in that path because there was one who perfectly walked in wisdom. There was one who who didn't put his foot to evil, not even a little bit, who didn't even flirt with the lion who was as holy as he could be. He listened perfectly to the wise father and he he walked in perfect wisdom. And our command as those who are on this side of the cross is to follow after him. We're to be like Jesus, to walk in his footsteps, to be single-hearted in our manner, not swerving to the right or to the left. Where Jesus doesn't go, we don't want to go. We want to walk in perfection like him. Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 12. After this line of faithful people who are joining their voices saying, you can do this, don't shrink back, keep following, keep walking by faith. We're encouraged to let us run, says, with endurance, the race that is set before us. It's set before us. And what do, how do we do this? By looking to Jesus, the founder 
and perfecter of our faith. When looking to wisdom, we look to Jesus. And looking to him, we know that in this race, that he, his message and his grace and his love and his call to repent and turn away from sin and follow after him is a message that needs to be pounded repeatedly. Brothers and sisters, one of the ways that we do this as a family, that we pound this meaning home for us, is we take the Lord's Supper. This is us reminding ourselves of the greatness of our Savior. This is us saying, look at what God has done, that his body would be broken, that his blood would be poured out, that your sins might be forgiven. Look what he's done. And that's a message that we shouldn't ever tire of and that we're never going to be in a place where we don't need it. And so he says, do this. In remembrance of these things. So during this supper, as we gather around this table, do these things before you come up here. Look back. Think about what Christ has done. Think about his love. Think about his death. Think about right now. Am I in right relationship with Jesus and his people? Because he says that to take this bread and to drink of this cup is to say that you have a part in Christ and his body. That is to say you're in right relationship with him and with his people. Is that where you're at right now? If you trust in Jesus, you can come with assurance knowing that what he has done is enough for you, that you don't need to add to his work. And so you can be rejoicing right now that even though you're a sinner, you're saved and justified in front of him. But we also do this in looking forward, pounding the message home that this is something that's going to happen until he returns because there isn't until. And so we look forward as well, knowing that Jesus is going to return. So if you are a believer, come and take this meal. Look back, look to now, look forward and come in rejoicing in faith and tear off a piece of the bread, dip in the juice and be reminded what Jesus has done on your behalf. If you're not a believer, don't take this meal because this meal is saying, I have a part in Christ. And if you don't have faith in him, you don't have a part in him. We would say instead, take him instead. Take Jesus, believe in him and we'll prepare you to take this meal next time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for offering to us wisdom. Would you help us to here with humility, to not grow lax in our seeking of wisdom and our trying to live it out faithfully before you. May we know that we do it all by the grace that you supply, that you've been so good, so generous, so faithful to us, that we can look to you, depend upon you for wisdom, and we know that you will give to us. God, would you help us to walk away from sin, to walk in righteousness and wisdom, in the fear of the Lord in obedience to you and in close relationship to you. God, help us in that. For those who don't know wisdom, God, we pray for them to know Jesus. That even now, that they would see the greatness and the glory of the cross and that they would be drawn into relationship with you. But God, thank you for your people. Thank you for letting us gather. Help us to continue with one another, encourage one another, pound the message home that not only that we need wisdom, but that our wisdom has come and we need to follow in his footsteps and remember him until he returns and we pray for that return to come quickly. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.